home loan candle. The minimum wage, good idea or bad idea? The short answer is modest increases in the minimum wage are unlikely to reduce unemployment much, if at all, and will help low-wage workers live a more decent life. However, larger increases will reduce employment over time, and these negative consequences outweigh the benefits. There are better alternatives to the minimum wage to help these people, namely the Earned Income Tax Credit that is a tax-funded boost to income that doesn't so directly affect businesses' decisions to employ workers. To think about minimum wage as a policy, we have to start with the problem it is meant to alleviate. That, under a free market, many hardworking people don't make enough to live a decent life. In a society as wealthy as any modern, developed country, it's simply unjust to have full-time workers not living up to a certain standard. This standard includes the basics, food, water, shelter, electricity, but also the conveniences of some basic luxuries. Let's not confuse this problem with others. I'm not talking about general inequality. I'm focused on the lower end of the income spectrum. I'm talking about bringing those at the bottom up to a dignified standard, not solving greater inequality. I'm also not talking about those who don't work. That is also a problem, but it's not the one I'm discussing today. The Economic Policy Institute found that one in nine U.S. workers are paid wages so low that full-time earnings on those wages would not be enough to break free from poverty. Now, many of these workers are not the sole breadwinners of their household, so that doesn't mean that this many people are living in poverty, just that they are paid that little. A Brookings analysis, quote, found that 53 million workers ages 18 to 64, or 44% of all workers, earn barely enough to live on. Their median earnings are 1022 an hour and about 18000 per year. These low-wage workers are concentrated in a relatively small number of occupations, including retail sales, cooks, food and beverage servers, janitors and housekeepers, personal care and service workers such as child care workers and patient care assistants, and various administrative positions, end quote. Again, not all of these workers are the sole breadwinner, so not all of them are forced to survive on that wage alone. However, some are. 64% of low-wage workers are ages 25 to 54, meaning these aren't just retirees or young students. 57% work full-time year-round, meaning they seem to be trying to make a living for themselves at the low wage. So over 30 million full-time workers, ages 18 to 64, earn barely enough to live on. 51% are either primary earners or contribute substantially to the family expenses. 37% have children. And 55% of low-wage workers from ages 18 to 24 are not in school and do not already have a college degree. Meaning, even of people in their college years, a majority of low-wage workers are not in school. What these statistics make clear is, we are not just talking about people getting a little work in to earn some extra money, not just retirees, students, or teenagers. There are a sizable number of people in the United States who work full-time for low wages. The National Employment Law Project projects that in 2024, 
15 an hour with 31200 a year will be needed for an adequate standard of living. Many people will not be making that, and that leaves full-time workers living a financially shitty life, which is unfair and unjust in a society as wealthy as ours. Of fast food workers employed 40 or more hours a week, more than half of their families are enrolled in public assistance programs, so full-time work isn't enough to avoid welfare. Let's face it, we live in a society where even full-time work doesn't pay enough to consistently pay for people's needs. I watched some documentaries interviewing and following people who appear to be working hard, but they just barely make enough to pay their bills and afford basic things. These pieces are rich evidence of the reality of work in the United States that just doesn't pay enough to be fair. It's hard to watch these struggling Americans do fine work but get paid so little. Ideally, every individual will get the education and skills they need to have marketable abilities, allowing them to make a decent living. We, of course, should strive for this. But we also have to be real. In reality, people get divorced have children unexpectedly, have the business or even the entire industry that they've worked in their entire lives closed down. They have health or mental problems. They make mistakes. And hell, some people are just kind of dumb. None of this should destine those willing to work to poverty or anything near it. There will always be people stuck for all or much of their lives in low-skill jobs. The documentaries showed former military men wives whose husbands failed them, and workers whose industries collapsed, struggling to live on meager wages. If we live in a truly just society, they deserve better. Now, just because there is a problem doesn't mean the government should do anything about it. We don't need blind efforts, but realistic solutions. These solutions must do three things. A. They need to actually help the problem. Trying isn't good enough. B. Their benefits must outweigh their costs, with costs widely defined. I'm referring to any negative that a policy may cause. And C. The solution must be better than the alternatives. Minimum wage is one policy to help the working poor, but there are two alternatives that I'd like to discuss, a universal basic income and the earned income tax credit. The minimum wage is when a government sets a floor for the lowest amount an employer can pay an employee. It clearly helps those who receive it. Getting paid more than you otherwise would allows you to buy more things, more easily save, and live a better life. So it does work for those who actually receive it. There is a logical concern about its effect on inflation. If workers are paid more, then shouldn't items cost more to make up for the worker cost? And then does it actually help the workers at all? How much prices go up depend on the situation, but certainly prices can go up because of the minimum wage, but not as much as the actual wage goes up. Why? A. Businesses can take other actions to save money. B. Some products and services only the better off can afford in the first place, and changes in these prices won't affect those who receive the minimum wage. And C. Competition may make it difficult for businesses to raise prices. So, while there may be some inflation, it isn't enough to stop the benefit of the minimum wage. The much more serious threat to the soundness of a minimum wage is its effect on employment. 
Economists have been studying this for decades, and while the scientific literature does point in some directions, there is not complete agreement. The most basic logic for why a minimum wage would cause unemployment is this. By increasing the cost of labor, businesses will use less of it. This is basic economics for any market. The more something costs, the more people will decide not to use it, or to use less of it. However, the real world isn't so simple. Whether or not the minimum wage will have an effect will be very situational. If a fast food restaurant has five workers, all making minimum wage, and the minimum wage is increased by one penny, will this change the actions of the managers? Probably not. A one-cent increase will likely make no difference whatsoever. If a one-cent change makes no difference, it's possible that higher increases will also have no impact. Managers and owners have to decide if the increased cost of labor makes it worth it for them to sell less or switch to methods that are less labor-intensive or to raise prices or to close their business because they can't be profitable with such expenses. This is incredibly situational. One important environment factor is the tightness of the labor market. In good economic times, a minimum wage may have less effect on unemployment because labor is in such short supply. But when demand for labor is already low compared to supply, minimum wage likely has worse effects. Businesses may be able to raise prices to avoid effects on employment, or may be induced to reorganize to more efficiently serve their customers instead of having less employees. They may pay higher skilled workers less to make up for the minimum wage cost, or may accept a smaller profit margin. If workers respond by working harder, then this may mitigate the higher wages' effects on employment. There's evidence that minimum wages reduce turnover for companies. This is a cost saver and may make up for higher minimum wages. However, there are limits too. How much lower turnover can get. How hard workers can work how well a business can reorganize, how much prices can be raised, and how much less companies can compensate higher-income workers. So, large increases in minimum wages may overwhelm these effects and still result in lower employment. It's possible that minimum wage workers spend their extra money in a way that is more beneficial to the economy or to low-paid workers than whoever pays the incidence of the policy. If so, this would create a positive effect on employment. In simple economic theory, where a market is perfectly competitive, worker pay and worker productivity match. However, if in the real world worker pay is suppressed, then the worker is being paid less than their productive value. In this situation, a minimum wage may match worker pay to worker productivity and not create the situation where a minimum wage increases the pay of the worker above their productive value. An example of a suppression is monopsony. This is like monopoly, but instead of a seller having too much market power, the buyer does. In a labor market, the employer is the buyer. So monopsony is an employer's having more power than in a simple economic model, and therefore forcing down wages. It isn't clear at all that employers who employ low-wage workers have such power. There are a variety of stores, companies, products, and services that require low-skill workers. Such workers have lots of options to choose from, and because they are relatively low-skilled, they have flexibility for which industry they work in. 
I don't know to what extent employers have monopsony power, but it isn't obvious that they do. The costs of searching for a new job are relatively small, so any monopsony power that businesses have likely only suppresses wages a little bit, making this force relevant for small increases in the minimum wage, but not large ones. Although there are many forces, ultimately, the higher the minimum wage, the stronger the negative effects on employment. Even if there is monopsony or other failures that make the market wage too low, if the minimum wage is raised above these levels, the cost of labor will induce employers to hire less and fire more. The question really isn't whether the minimum wage is good or bad, but how high should the minimum wage be? Thinking through this theoretically, with logic, can only take us so far. We need to bring in evidence. Economists have gathered data from a variety of sources and crunched these numbers with different techniques. Taking into account the quantity and quality of the different studies, modest increases in minimum wages tend to produce no or small unemployment effects. However, many of these studies may be missing such effects that happen over time. Findings focused on the lowest wage workers or other vulnerable subgroups tend to find larger negative effects. And these studies don't imply small unemployment effects for large increases in the minimum wage. Because the theoretical impact of the minimum wage is situational, then even if a study is done perfectly in one space and time, that doesn't mean the effects it shows will hold true in other places. It may be that a minimum wage increase in one city had little effect on unemployment, but in another city, the same increase has a large effect. And of course, a higher increase in minimum wage may create more unemployment in other cities and in the city that had the more modest increase. That studies often find a disemployment effect suggests that the basic theory that higher cost of labor results in less use of that labor is correct in general. Sure, the minimum wage may have limited impact if it is modestly raised and in the right environment, but we must be careful that our raises are properly modest and not done so in a situation that will increase unemployment too much. Many studies that find no or small impacts on unemployment are looking for fairly quick impacts. However, minimum wage effects may occur more slowly. Businesses will often not respond by immediately firing people, but stretching further the people they have and not hiring more people. Often higher wage costs will induce spending on technologies that require less manpower. However, this spending may not occur immediately. It takes time to research, invest, and set up new technology and a manager may want to wait for old equipment to wear out before upgrading to the new stuff that requires less employees. If minimum wage impacts do happen more slowly, many studies may not be designed to pick up these effects in the first place. Because how the minimum wage impacts employment is situational, we should be careful about results from meta-analyses that average data from different populations. Within these averages, we'll lose the many situations where a higher minimum wage has the most impact on employment. Also, meta-analyses give more weight to statistically precise estimates, and this is often different than the best method to get an answer to an empirical question. There is much debate among economists about how to determine the impact of minimum wages on employment. Be careful about people making wide statements about the state of the scientific literature, claiming no or only minimal impact on the minimum wage, because different researchers using different methods 
find something different. Studies looking at poverty and welfare use don't tend to find a statistically significant reduction in poverty or less use of welfare because of minimum wage increases. This suggests that the unemployment effects may be as powerful as the boosts in wages for those with jobs. However, economists still debate these findings. Scholars have developed models that purport to show that large negative relationships between minimum wage and employment are more likely to be published, thus biasing the literature against minimum wage. This doesn't negate the studies that are published, and I don't fully know what to do with this, but it's something to keep in mind. Carefully raising a minimum wage at a local level may be a risk worth taking. Sure, there may be less employment overall, but this effect will be small and even possibly zero. While the benefits to those who receive the new minimum wage will be huge. However, we should be wary about three components to some minimum wage proposals. Large increases increases at the federal level, and proposals that index future increases to inflation. The risks of large increases on unemployment have been covered. We need to be extra careful at increasing the minimum wage federally, or even at the state level in large states. Many geographic areas are just more expensive than others. What is a living wage in one place is a poverty wage in another. If the federal government attempts to raise the minimum wage to a level that is a living wage for New York or San Francisco, that will be far too high for much of the country, causing substantial unemployment. Thus, federal minimums should be particularly modest. Also, if localities want to risk their city's economic health with a large minimum wage, it is best that they do so and let us study the results, rather than implement such a huge risk on the whole country. If the federal minimum has fallen very far behind, modest increases should be fine, but we should be careful when raising it for the entire country because its effects will differ by geography. Indexing the minimum wage to inflation makes initial sense. If the whole point is to create a floor for people to live a decent life, then this floor should go up as the price of the things they need to live that decent life go up. However, the disemployment effects of having the minimum wage continually go up may be large. It's one thing for businesses to be told that they must pay their workers more one time and then give businesses time to adjust to the new costs. The decision may very well be to suck it up and still employ the same amount of people that they otherwise would. However, if this is a permanent cost increase mandated by the government, they may decide they need to protect themselves by limiting their hiring. Most minimum wages are not indexed to inflation, so most studies don't deal with this. Such indexing is a large risk and shouldn't be done. If we want to raise the minimum wage at all, we should raise it modestly, then observe before future raises. Even in cases where minimum wages have not reduced employment, there may be other negative effects on minimum wage workers. Managers and owners find other ways to claw back that money. Buy lowering benefits, lowering hours, not paying for uniforms, not allowing free meals, and other areas where employees may get freebies that the business feels it no longer can afford. Additionally, the quality of work may decrease. If a manager must pay the worker more, he may expect more. Showing up five minutes late from time to time may no longer be acceptable. The demand for higher output may increase, making the job less enjoyable. If there is an increase in demand for the higher paid jobs, then the employer may be able to be less nice to the employee because the job can always be filled by someone else. 
the worker may have less control over his schedule. Also, if jobs pay more, the employer may maintain the same number of employees, but employ higher quality employees. Those with the least skills may be worth it at $9 an hour, but not $15. So higher quality workers may then be hired, leaving the least well-off in a worse position even though total employment has not decreased. These additional costs should be considered when thinking about the minimum wage. One alternative to the minimum wage is to just give everyone in the country money. This money will be on top of people's wages and allow each person to live a decent life. Like the minimum wage, the biggest problem with a universal basic income or negative income tax that works like a universal basic income is that it probably will reduce work. There will be some segment of the population that says, hey, with this free money, I don't need to work, so I won't. It is unjust to take money from taxpayers who earn their money and to give it to capable individuals who use that money to be lazy. Also, having less people work weakens the economy and the strength of the nation. Some UBI studies have been performed that show limited employment effects, but we can't take much from these studies because they don't meet the criteria of a basic income. These studies give people money for the course of the study. If someone says they are going to give me money for three years, I'm not going to quit my job. I know I'll need work three years from now, and my skills and experience will look a lot worse to potential employers if I took three years off. I don't have much of an incentive here to not work. In a real UBI, however, the promise is to give you that money forever. In that scenario, I may decide I can live off that and what savings I have so far, and quit. The study's temporary nature makes them unusable for predicting UBI's impact on employment. Countries around the world have a UBI-like system for seniors called Social Security. Different countries have different ages for when people can claim Social Security. And what do you know? People retire at about the same ages that they can collect the checks. This suggests that UBI would lead some people to work less or not at all. However, some analyses of real policies that are effectively basic incomes do show minimal or no reduction in work. The studies are too limited to overcome the basic logic of free money reducing work, but this should be watched, and I may have to change my mind on this if the evidence gets stronger. Unlike the minimum wage, that in some situations probably won't cause unemployment, but in many situations will, the debate surrounding the earned income tax credit is whether or not it increases employment. The tax credit doesn't increase the price of employing people. Therefore, it doesn't so directly affect employment decisions. An employer doesn't have to look at this government policy and think, can I not afford to hire another person that I otherwise would because of this intervention. The tax credit gives money to hardworking, low-income people without such distortion. It works by giving money to people who meet certain criteria. Ideally, this would be all people working a certain number of hours for below a certain income, and ideally, the check would be given out bi-weekly, monthly, or with every employer paycheck. 
Unfortunately, the tax credit mostly applies to those with kids and is not nearly generous enough for those without. And it only pays out once a year. If we want good policy to help the working poor, we should focus on expanding and reforming the earned income tax credit, not raising the minimum wage. The main burden of the tax credit is fiscal. The minimum wage isn't directly paid by taxes. The tax credit requires wealthier Americans to pay more. Taking money for government purposes is always a cost, a cost in the loss of money and in the freedom to do with that money what one wants. However, a society where working people can't live a life with basic dignity is not a fair or just society. So taxing the better off to give a basic living standard to those at the bottom is justified and worth it. While on one hand we are individuals, on the other, human beings are inherently social creatures. We live in a society. We are all connected. And while, with the choices that society makes, we must be cautious to not unwisely infringe on our individual freedoms, we can tax our well-off people if doing so makes sure everyone lives well enough. The tax credit tapers off after a certain income, rather than simply ending when someone reaches an income level. This limits the extent that it encourages one to work or earn less at the cutoff point, because each step forward in income only reduces the tax credit a little bit, as it slowly goes down to zero once one earns high enough to not qualify. The tax credit does have a high error rate in how or who it sends money to, but these errors are not huge deals and can be improved. Rather than accidentally sending the check to wealthy people, which would be a huge screw-up, the mistakes we see are sending too much based on not understanding the exact situation of the individual. Often this involves who gets to claim dependence. The credit pays more for dependence, and if people claim a dependent they shouldn't have, then they will get too much. Personally, I'd like to see two separate programs, a work tax credit and a child tax credit. The work credit would be given to all within certain incomes working enough hours, with it tapering at the edges. And the child credit would be given per child. Separating these would make them easier to administer. The program also needs to be automatic. Right now, some eligible people don't get the credit because they don't claim it. Additionally, there is a marriage penalty that should be eliminated. In my ideal earned income tax credit, it would actually replace most forms of welfare for working people. Maybe all non-insurance types of welfare. Some welfare, like medical welfare, Medicaid, Medicare, are basically insurance for a chance of huge cost. No amount of tax credit will help someone be able to afford such huge bills. But others, like food stamps, rent subsidies, heating subsidies, etc., or to pay for basic monthly or daily things. A properly sized tax credit could pay for all of this, and different systems can be set up for those temporarily or permanently unemployed. The problem with delivering welfare in kind, in the form of food or subsidies for a particular good or service, is the government doesn't know how much people want that good or service, and people may use more of it just because it's subsidized. They may also use less of unsubsidized goods and services. These market distortions cause people to use things in a different proportion than their actual ideal, and can cause a run-up of prices. If instead, welfare is focused on cash, people can make their own decisions. They can judge their situation better than a bureaucrat can, 
and this produces more efficient outcomes that makes people better off. Of course, for those addicted to drugs, they need particular help. They are the exception, though, not the rule. Cash benefits, rather than a myriad of subsidies, is also easier to implement and will save on costs and bureaucratic problems. Whether or not you agree with my vision of a generous tax credit that replaces most other welfare programs, focusing on expanding the tax credit makes a lot more sense than expanding the minimum wage. Even modest unemployment caused by the minimum wage is a serious consequence. Remember, the minimum wage of someone unable to get a job is $0 an hour. Many unable to find work may lose self-respect and the dignity that work gives to some people. With no income, people are not just struggling, but truly destitute. We don't know for sure which minimum wage increases and where will produce how much unemployment, but it usually produces some, and certainly higher and quicker minimum wage increases produce more unemployment. We should be incredibly careful and conservative when making such increases, and instead help make work pay by expanding and increasing the earned income tax credit. In theory, you could get rid of the minimum wage and have only the tax credit. I'm not sure about that because the two policies actually work well together. One risk of the tax credit is employers taking all of that benefit by just paying employees less. They know that because of the credit, it may still be worth it for employees to work even with super low official pay. A minimum wage puts a floor on this. Also, if the tax credit payout remains yearly, the minimum wage helps people pay for more monthly and daily expenses. In summary, studies on the minimum wage show that in some situations, modest increases may cause no or little unemployment. However, many studies do show unemployment effects, and logically, greater increases to the minimum wage will cause greater unemployment effects. Unemployment is a huge cost to the fiscal and mental stability of an individual or family and should be avoided. Thus, while I'm open to modest increases in minimum wages, we should be careful with large raises and in which geographies we make them. Fortunately, we can help those with low incomes in a way that doesn't increase the cost of labor to businesses. That is the earned income tax credit which we should reform and expand. I'm Lone Candle. Like me, comment me, love me. Oh.